Hello, welcome to the Irish Left Archive podcast. In this episode, we talk to Vincent Doherty. Vincent has been politically active since the early 1970s, having grown up in Derry during the civil rights marches and outbreak of the Troubles. He joined the official Republican movement in 1972 and was involved in Derry until moving to England in 1973. There, he was briefly involved in the Socialist Labour League before joining the International Marxist Group and was centrally involved in the Troops Out movement. Returning to Ireland in 1979, he joined People's Democracy, which by that time was the fraternal organisation of the IMG through the Fourth International. As a PD member, he was heavily involved in the National H Block Armagh Committee. He stood as a general election candidate on the H Block issue in 1981 in Dublin North Central. Having worked with Sinn Féin in the campaign, he argued PD should orientate towards Sinn Féin and eventually joined in 1982. Leaving Sinn Féin in the late 80s, he has subsequently been involved independently in campaigns and in trade unionism, for example as coordinator of trade union Friends of Palestine. We discuss Vincent's background in Derry and the events which led to his politicisation, his role in the Derry Republican movement and perspective on the officials and the divisions which led to the formation of the IRSP, his work with the IMG and Troops Out movement in England, his central role in the H-Block's campaign during the 1981 hunger strikes, his move towards Sinn Féin and the influence of people's democracy and his perspective on the contemporary left in Ireland. This episode was recorded in October 2022. Many thanks to Vincent for taking the time to talk to us. You'll find the Irish Left Archive at leftarchive.ie. As ever, if you have any feedback on the podcast um, or on the project in general, we'd be glad to hear from you. Thanks again to Vincent for taking the time to talk to us, and thank you for listening. Thanks again, uh, Vincent, for coming on the podcast. Um, to start, uh, maybe you can tell us a bit about what brought you into political engagement, um, political activity, and uh, the background to that. Thanks very much uh, for asking. I, uh, I suppose just by way of who I am, I was born uh, in County Derry in 1954. Mm. Uh, I'm the eldest of uh, six children. Um, both my parents were manual workers. Uh, and uh, I became, I mean, there was a sort of, there was always uh, a, a sort of uh, a realisation that, that, that you were sort of, you, you weren't, weren't mainstream if you were a young Catholic uh, in the six counties, you know. Yeah. You'd have noticed it from your parents, you know, uh, that uh, what we used to call the Giuseppe Conlon, generation you know they they had been sort of browbeaten and uh were very afraid of what might happen should their children get involved in any sort of political activity and uh i'm my parents were already living in Derry city the house i was born in was in county Derry, as i say a place called mullabwee uh, uh, uh just about five miles from Derry city and I was born in the same house as my father was born in. So I came from a quite a big extended family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, even by the age of, you know, 10 or 11, you know, there are certain symbolic sort of things that were stood out. Like I was a Derry City supporter and a Glasgow Celtic supporter. Right. Uh, uh, whereas my peers, uh, who I grew up with, mm-hmm. you know, I grew up in a mixed area in the waterside. You know, I was as likely to be playing with Protestant kids in the afternoon as I was with Catholic kids in the evening, mm-hmm. you know. And so the people I grew up around were sort of, you know, basic, ordinary, working-class Protestants. And, and uh, But uh, 
you know, we know we, we there were certain choices that that became evident as, as you became a bit older. And my parents ran a pub in, in Duke Street, which was uh, the site of the first civil rights march. Now, we had moved to Duke Street by that time. But uh, we still lived in a, in a mixed area. And uh, I suppose the day of the first civil rights march, which, as I say, is the anniversary of which is today. Yes, uh, the, yeah. the 54th anniversary. Uh, I was at a football match in the Brandywell. I think Derry City were playing distillery. And right. uh, on the way back from the match, we had to come through the city centre. And there was a sort of tension in the air, which was absolutely palpable. And we didn't know at this stage about the confrontation in Duke Street, you know. Mm. It's just that there was a lot of B-specials running around, you know, with helmets and shields and, and, and you know, uh, axe handles. It was, it was a real air of menace in, 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 in the city, you know. And, mm. you know, like other people, like just watching what unfolded was, you know, it was quite politicised in, in the sense that you thought, well, here we are. Marching for civil rights, one man, one vote, you know, rightly housing and, you know, employment. Uh, and this is how the state responds. Yeah. You know, so I was I was 14. Uh, and, you know, you know, the, we used to watch from where from where we lived in Robert Street, you could watch out across Craig Avonbridge. So we watched this, the, the civil rights marches over mm. the next few months and slowly we joined in. You know, mm. we joined in uh, against the, the 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 best wishes of our parents. We we're very very scared about what might happen, and that was something yeah. which 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 a lot of people sort of uh, you know don't wouldn't take notice of. But uh, so the early civil rights marches, uh, and then a, a really decisive event was uh, in, in 1969. Would have been the Battle of the Bogside. Uh, you know, there was a lot of a lot of tributaries to the stream that became the, the Battle of the Bogside, but you know, that was the most significant event because it corresponded with the, the Falls Road curfew. Mm. Uh, so, sorry, the Falls Road pogroms of 69. And uh, you know, that was seeing hundreds of, of families burnt out of their homes and you know, the RUC shooting machine guns at unarmed civilians, you know, that sort of the repression brought its own sort of response, you know what I mean? Uh, and so we used to, you know, like everybody I knew in school, we rioted, mm. you know, uh, all the time, you know what I mean? You engaged in sort of rioting with the British Army for the most part. And right. uh, I uh, I was arrested for rioting, uh, and it had a mandatory six-month sentence at the time, but my father got a really good solicitor, and I got off with with a lesser charge of disorderly behaviour. And uh, the other thing that happened after the Battle of the Bogside uh, was I went away to work mm. in Larne, County Antrim. Mm. And that was a pretty harrowing experience. Uh, I was 15 years old. I was in a place called the Apprentice Department my very first day, two weeks mm. after the Falls Road pogroms. And a guy approached me within an hour of me starting work. He asked me if I was a tag. And the tag wasn't a word that was used frequently in Derry, you know. Mm. I, 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 you know, I, I, so I said, a, a what? And he said, an RC. I still didn't connect. Mm. And he said, are you a Mick? I, I, I was genuinely, I didn't know what, I was wondering what was happening. And another guy just chipped in and said, are you a Fenian? 
Uh, I said, oh, yeah, I, oh, yeah, I am a Fenian. Mm. And he says, is it true you're from the bog side? And I said, no, 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 I, I went to school there, but I'm not from there. Mm. And from that moment, I was known as the Fenian from the bog side. Do you know what I mean? Sure. And for three and a half years, I went through a lot of sort of torment, you know, and, uh, you know, was a side of the Protestant working class, which... Uh, is, is sometimes not visited, you know, because it was quite a, a, a squalid sort of viciously mm. sectarian sort of environment, you know. Mm. So all of those factors contributed. And I remember the first time I thought about joining the IRA was a good bit before I did. It was after the Falls Road curfew of June 1970. Yeah, yeah. Battles at Matthews. And yeah. I remember being with a friend of mine, Danny Moore, and he, he said to me, you know, you know, they're shooting our people in the streets. You know, uh, you know, there's sticks and stones. It's not going to do it. He said, I'm joining the IRA. And I thought, hmm. And um, I w- he would have been also a friend of Willie White's, Johnny White, who was a you yeah. know leader of the officials in Derry and later became a senior figure in the IRSP and INLA. Mm. His brother, Willie, was a very political character. And uh, me and self and him were good friends. In fact, we remain good friends. You know, uh, he's quite active politically still in Derry in various left-wing campaigns. Right, well, there was a sort of number of, of factors mm. that 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 contributed to my decision to sort of join the Republican movement. Mm. Uh, internment probably, the introduction of internment was probably the, the, the final straw, and mm. I had sort of decided then, you know, it was just a matter of when. And uh, as it happened, uh, I was working still in Lauren, so it was awkward for me. Uh, but uh, I, I had made the decision. It wasn't until early '72, actually, that I actually was joined the army. Uh, and I remembered, like it was last week, uh, it was in Johnny White's house right. in, in Leaning Gardens in Craigan, and he swore people in. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first thing he said to me afterwards was a person with a gun and no politics is just a criminal. Do you know what I mean? And that sort yeah. of stuck with me. And he knew me through his brother that I was, you know, I had some political ideas. Mm. Uh, Willie had introduced me to Connolly, Labour and Irish history, I remember reading. And so that was those were the sort of factors that contributed to sort of the, 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 the repression and the... Were you were you ever attracted? Were, did do you you obviously joined the officials? Mm-hmm. Did you ever think about joining the provisionals, or was it like the friendships and connections that you had channeled you in a certain way? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. And the choice wasn't to start then because in the early seventies in Derry, the officials were every bit as militarily efficient as the provos were, you know, and in Belfast, you know, uh, one of the first things that happened when I wasn't around very long was the murder of Joe McCann, mm. you know, uh, uh, and there was, you know, the, the officials were engaged in, you know, you know, it wasn't the boy scouts. They were engaged yeah. in a serious sort of armed struggle at that time. Yeah. And, uh, but the provos, uh, never really at that point attracted me, you know what I mean? I, mm. I, I was always indifferent to the sort of bombing campaign. Mm. You know, I, I can understand the engagements with the British Army and, you know, and, and the RUC and, you know, even standoffs with loyalist paramilitaries mm. were necessary. But the bombing campaign just seemed, you know, yeah. excessive. Yeah. You know? Yeah, completely, yeah. So... Y- 
you joined them in 1972. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. of course, the officials were undergoing a sea change themselves at that stage. Yeah. Did you have a sense of that at the time or, or was did. Derry different? Derry, Derry was different. Derry was... I remember being at a meeting in probably April or May of 72. It was a closed meeting. It was an army meeting and there was maybe 40 people at it, right. uh, 40 or 50. And it, was, it wasn't, it was you know, it was for people who who were what they called staff. You know what yeah. I mean? People who were on local, you know, you had very grandiose titles. Uh, yeah. And uh, I was there and Owen Harris was there. He right. arrived from Dublin with a pile of books into the Bogside Inn and Free Derry on a Sunday morning and began to lecture people about how the barricades were an obstacle to working class unity and they should be taken down immediately. And half the people, two thirds of the people in the room were on the run. You know what I mean? It was like, and they were sort of, it was like people were just completely astonished at this. And, he said to them, like, we, 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 you know, take down the barricades, we'll be arrested, we'll be in long cash by next week. And and he said, oh, no, we can get you jobs in the industrial department in Dublin. Do you know what I mean? And it was like, it was that sort of level of, are you are you for real? Do you know what I mean? But uh, I always remembered Harris from that time onwards. You know mm. what I mean? He was, um, yeah, he was a figure that was hard not to notice. Uh, and at that time, you know, as I say, just by way of, sort of background uh the the ira and free dairy you know had a very different sort of complexion to the ira outside of the the the, the free dairy you know because in free dairy people just drove around in cars and mm. you know was sort of engaged with soldiers and you know there was various stuff without you know uh say anything and appropriate but uh you know it was it was mm. like there was a certain ease about it a certain romance even you know what yeah. i mean yeah. uh and whereas uh around the same time i was asked by johnny white uh the former republican club in the waterside all right uh and that was my first engagement with Sinn fein oh. uh, the official Sinn fein i established what was called the, the wolf tone republican club in our side there and i was the chairman of it you know what i mean right uh, and around the same time as i say you know i i became uh, the main person in uh, the the official ira in the area uh, right. and remained that for until pretty much a few months before i, I left the organization you know yeah uh, and as you say i went you know i went from being a training officer, an intelligence officer to the OC. And that was sort of, you know, not because of my military prowess, anything mm. uh, at all like that, but because I was the most political person in the area. Really? Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And how did that integrate with, because the Starry Plough, of course, is the Derry Officials publication. Yeah. yeah. You would have had a hand in that as well, I imagine. Absolutely, yeah. I think I wrote the first, I wrote an article for it, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Because I was working night shift at the time and it was about this lack of sort of, uh, you know, it was about, the, you know, the madness of, of having to work through the night. But, yeah. yeah, I remember the paper really well. It was really good paper. Yeah. And, it was very well uh, put together. Yeah. And because I had become active in official Sinn Féin, I was soon on the Derry Area Executive for Republican Clubs. And 
you know, I, I met people then like, you know, Maliki McGurin, mm. uh, who was an important figure in my political development. You know, I, I really liked Maliki McGurin. I thought he was a good guy. Mm. Uh, and there was him, there was Joe Sweeney and Derry Barricade Joe. There was Red Mickey Doherty, who was an important political figure in the officials. There was mm. obviously Terry Robson and Tommy McCourt. And, you know, mm. uh, so there was, a, there was a, you know, there was things happening. And, and I began to go to the, the six county executive. And then I was taking the Art Corla meetings and I would have met, you know, people who, you know, were, were quite well known, uh, like Liam McMillan and, yeah. uh, and Des O'Hagan, who my instincts were right. I never liked him from the moment I met him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah. he was he was he was a horrible character. But yeah, so I would have and I would have been picking up on the, the different, you know, vibes. Mm. You know? Uh, I remember Des O'Hagan approaching me at Mornington because Malcolm McGurn had introduced me to him. Mm. And he introduced me with, you know, Vincent as a, the, you know, he's such and such. And, and O'Hagan approached me about two weeks later, Mornington, and said, Are you still? And I said, Yeah, I am still. You know, it was always sort of stuttered conversation about army stuff. Mm. And um, he said, We really have to stop the trots taken over in Derry. And that was the first time it had been put that bluntly to me. And I wasn't sure. I had no idea exactly what the trots were. Yeah. Mickey Montgomery was, was out of jail or about to come out. And he said, we've got to have our own man in there as OC. And uh, so there was a guy called Belfast, a, a guy from Belfast called Sean Morrissey, mm. who was a librarian. He had no military background at all, was was appointed OC of the, the officials in Derry. You know what I mean? Wow. Uh, and I mean, as I say, he was, you know, he had no, no military experience mm. whatsoever. He mm. was just there as a sort of point man for, for, for the officials leadership in Dublin. Uh, and the last I heard of him, he was, he was wounded in one of the feuds, mm. uh, uh, later on, uh, he was back living in Belfast after the, you know, cause the organization completely sort of disintegrated pretty much in Derry. Mm. Uh, after 73 74 really that early yeah, That's yeah. interesting yeah. yeah and did you get a sense that dublin was well obviously if there's a Hagen was coming to you like that so you had a clear sense that dublin there was at least a lobby in dublin that was very clearly trying to push the movement in a certain direction yeah and and then did you have a sense there were others in dublin who were pushing back against that yeah, i mean how I did. It, yeah yeah i did it's funny, I didn't realise the significance of it at the time, but in the 1972 Sinn Féin Ardèche, we actually stayed, myself and my girlfriend at the time, Holida Maloney, mm. we stayed with Seamus Costello right. uh, out in, you know, and I, I've right. since spoken to his wife, Melissa, about it once or twice, you know. Mm. And so I met Costello in Dublin before I realised how significant the figure he was, and I subsequently met him twice, and there he actually came to the waterside right. when I was, was there. And it was evident that his take on things were was quite different from from the national leadership. You know what I mean? Really? He was well liked and well gotten, Derry, yeah. uh, and that was evident from, as I say, those people who I mentioned, Red Mickey, mm. uh, sort of McCourt was back in town after being on the run for a little while, and you know, it was it was. It was evident that that Coslo had had a bit of a following there, mm-hmm. and that's as I say, it was sort of vulgar, sort of Trotskyism versus Stalinism. Mm-hmm. But 
it was a, around, this was in the aftermath of Owen O'Murrahu's uh, article about oh, yeah. Ovo Tracks. Yeah. That was in the United oh, Irishman, was that it? That was in the United Irishman. Yeah. And we refused to sell it in Derry, that particular edition. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and that was the sort of, that was contributed to the story ploy being, you know, given much more priority from then on than, than the United Irishman. Right. Okay. Did you have a sense like there were other people in Dublin who were with Costello? I mean, at our corridor level, or or was he? Yeah, I certainly had the impression. I remember Derry, the Derry Brigade uh, provided the the colour party for the 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 Bodenstown march in seventy mm. two, and I remember staying with people uh, and meeting them in a in a flat in Dublin. Mm. A lot of younger sort of officials, people like Oscar Brannock. Mm. Uh, who I'd met, so you know, and it was it was very clear that a lot of them were very unhappy with the, the way in which the direction were, were, that that was being taken. Yeah. Of course, Oscar McPlunkett and people like that became, you know, the backbone of the IRSP in the early yeah. days. You know, did you think? Did you think it'd go to a ceasefire? Did you think the Republican movement would call call a, essentially a ceasefire, or was that a complete bolt from the blue? Yeah, it was a bit of a bolt from the blue. I mean, they tried to dress it up, of course, with, uh, you know, defence and retaliation. But mm. it was very evident that, you know, I, I wasn't aware of this, but at a certain level that, that you know, supplies were, were not forthcoming. You know, like when I went into, the, you know, the local unit that I was in, in the waterside, which, you know, mm was sizable like we had we had considerable number of people like we had 25 to 30 people mm. in in the army and you know there was maybe four or five weapons which were antiques really you know what i mean it was yeah. like so there was by way of sort of what was available in belfast was 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 quite different what was available in Derry was 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 very sort of meager do you know mm. what i mean and that, those are the sorts of things that you did. People don't wonder what you did. You know, you, you sort of you tried to smuggle weapons and yeah. you gathered intelligence. You were involved in training. You were involved in planning, you know. Uh, but it was it was evident that, 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 that Derry was sort of on a limb to some extent, mm. you know. So when it did happen, when the, when the ceasefire was called... Mm. How was that received in Derry? And well, I mean, from what you've said already, not well, but I mean, and then was there a concrete pushback against that or anything like that? Or? Yeah, there was. Yeah, Costal is like Costal came and there was an army convention. And so, you know, various people had these sort of, you know, had, were, were given the opportunity to visit Derry to mm. put their position. And, and uh, you know, Costal was very much of the view that, that, of the broadest interpretation of what defence and retaliation meant, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Uh, whereas others had a very, very narrow view of it. And yeah. there was one sort of last hurrah uh, late, nearly in 73, I think it was, where they decided they were going to have one big blast. You know, there was, yeah. there was a coordinated action across the six counties. And we were all told not to stay at home because if this came off, it was going to be massive. And, and, but it, like, it was a bit of a damp squib. There was two or three things which happened. I think maybe there was a soldier killed in Armagh. But it was 20 or 30 of us at a house in Donegal mm. <laughs> twiddling our thumbs for a few days, you know what I mean, mm. before having to return to normality. So that was it. It was... It was and by that stage, I suppose people were sort of just waiting for when it, when the split actually happened. Yeah. 
I, I should ask just as a precursor to that, did um obviously there were actions were taking place and there was some blowback from communities, but was that overstated at the time of the split? I'm thinking, wasn't it Ranger Best who was yeah. shot in Yeah. There was some community pushback, was there, or was there, or how did that function yeah. in terms of yeah. That that Ranger Best as it happened, was shot that night before Owen Harris arrived to do that Sunday meeting. Right. Okay. Yeah. You know, so uh, I remember meeting people and they said, did you hear any news? And I said, you know, I, I, mm. I said, well, I heard the news about the soldier. And they said, well, and they said, who, who are they saying did it? And I think they were just checking it out. You know, I said, well, they're saying we did it. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and there was, I remember, there was a definite pushback. There was a, there was a sort of campaign. I think initially by neighbours and friends of the best family, but mm. the church got it in it quickly, and and the pros got it in it really, really quickly. Mm. You, know, this, you know, the sort of communists were, you know, desecrating sort of, you know, the the area and shooting, you know, and like, uh, yeah, and I mean clearly. It happened the night after. Bess was very unfortunate, you know what I mean? And mm. insofar as the night before he was shot, the British Army had shot and killed a 15-year-old boy mm. from from uh, Derry Walls, a young fellow called Manistery. He was mm. outside a chip shop. And so there was a sort of real anger around and it was seething. And I mean, I think, like, uh, by any stretch of imagination, looking back on it, Bess was a, you know, a bit of a known goal, really, you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, and I remember we had to guard the, the, the offices that we had in the bog, in the bog side from, from angry locals for a day right. or two. So then the split happens. Mm. And how, how did that unwind or unfold, so to speak? Well, I left Ireland, as it happened, in September of 73. Yeah. Uh, I knew my sort of luck was running out. I'd been arrested three or four times. You know what I mean? And yeah. I'd gotten away once or twice uh, with, you know, in, in tricky situations. And I was, you know, I was young. I was, in, you know, I had a girlfriend and she encouraged me to come with her to, to England. And I, I, I went, I went, the, I went, and my life changed quite dramatically. I, I had been working in engineering from when mm. I was, from when I was about uh, fifteen, and I would have been close to twenty then, nineteen. Uh, and so I, I went with her, and you know, I started working in engineering for a while, and I met a couple of people really quickly when I arrived in England uh, yeah. from uh, the Social Labour League. But I was aware, I was in contact with, with people about what was going on in Derry. You mm. know what I mean? Uh, obviously not to the extent I would have been, you know, when I was there. But, you know, I had a good idea of what was going on. Mm. And uh, as I say, I'm in England. And it would have been September of 1973. It was a sort of seismic event in sort of my political development, which was the coup in Chile. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, on September the 11th, 1973. And we met, as you say, people from the Social Labour League, and they sort of, they said, well, this is what happens when you, you know, you don't uh, arm the working class and defence yeah. the revolution type stuff. So, yeah. I mean, we had, 
you know, within a few days, it sort of recruited us almost, you know what I mean? We didn't really, mm. the three of us, we didn't really. Uh, and as it happens, Tom White, Willie White's, Johnny White's brother, Tom White, mm. senior mm. figure in the closest Labour League, in their car plant in Cowley, where they had a really right. significant organisation, you know. So yeah. there was a connection there as well. You know, because yeah. one of the papers you would have seen, uh, you would have seen in White's house, would have been Workers Press, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which was their weekly, I think, daily paper at one stage. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So I had sort of come to, uh, I'd call, you know, I, I had decided before that time that I was after the ceasefire. It, you know, it was clear to me as a young Republican that they had abandoned the national struggle. Yeah. You know, and so I, I was on my way out. It was just a matter of where I would go and when, you know. Mm. Uh, and the debate had sort of crystallised a little bit. It was clearer that the Stalinists were, you know, the O'Hagans and the O'Murrochus uh, and the Trotskyists were, you know, Costello and Johnny White and, you know, mm. Bernadette and people like that, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I was always, I like, I'd have known McCann from when I was quite young as well. And I always had, you know, a certain regard. He was very close to the officials in the early 70s. Mm. You know, very, very close. Him and McGurran, I recall, as being quite good friends, you know. Mm. Uh, and there was a certain anxiety, I suppose, about what would happen yeah. in, in, uh, in the aftermath of uh, the split, you know. Mm. Uh, and, I mean, one of the things that, that people don't know is that, you know, although they glorify him knowing, like a lot of Northern officials thought Costello was a bit, you know, soft on the armed struggle. You know, the Belfast organization of the IRSPINLA, you know, were, were really gung-ho militarists from the word go, you know what I mean? Mm. You know, not just Jaren Steenson and the Flins and, you know, but... Uh, you know, they, they thought that Costello was 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 far too hesitant about launching a campaign in the north. And you know, uh, I remember, you know, to get to the question of why not the IRS. Yeah. I remember being home from from England at Easter of of seventy four and being approached by Red Mickey. Uh, mm. You know, to say you joining the organisation, kid, as he used to call me, mm. and I said. I said, I'm not sure, Mickey. I said, I heard that. Why did why why was the army given such prominence in, in the incipient IRSP? And he said, Well, we need transport. And I said, well, What do you need transport for? You know. And he said, Well, you know, we need to get around the various areas of the city. And I said, Like, you know, well, you don't need the you know you don't need liberated cars to do that you know you don't need to be certain robin banks they buy cars they, they drive from from a bogside to chantala you know yeah, they, yeah. a couple yeah. of miles but it was like it was indicative of the fact that they carried on that sort of mentality into the you know uh, and I remember said, no it's not I, I i said like you know we all had come to the conclusion that uh that the army should march in step with with the the, the political organization. It should be, you know, that the political organization should call the shots. Yeah. What a better pun. Yeah. You know, uh, and this was clearly not happening. You yeah. know that they, that yeah. Arsabite face before they had, uh, you know, 
you know, sunk any roots into the, you know, in terms of a political organization. You were already having people, you know, doing this, that, and the other. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, you know, what happens is, I remember it happening to me being told. We we opposed my local, that Sinn Fein Republican club that I talked about, the Wolfton Club. Mm. We opposed the assembly elections of, of 1973. And I was called into a meeting with Sean Marcy and said, you or you know you don't have a choice in this. This is an army directive, right? You get out there and you get everybody else out there, regardless of your you know mm. so what democratic centralism is, yeah. and you know you do what you know you know uh, you know this is what you know this is what you're you're, you're as I say as you say you're not in the Boy Scouts here. You're, you know yeah. you're directions. Yeah. yeah, and and so that fundamentally is why you turned away from the IRSP as a yeah. possible route. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. I mean, I should ask, obviously you were close to McGurran and obviously you, you respected Coslo. Did you maintain links with these people even residually or was it more you kind of went, or or maybe the times just wouldn't allow it? It didn't really, didn't yeah. really. I would maintain pe- links with people in the RSP and Derry, mm. you know, yeah. uh, for a long time, you know. Uh, and, you know, as I say, there was, you know, like... Was, there was people who left with me who became sort of serious uh, mm. figures in, in the IRSP and the INLA, like uh, Derek Shatter, who was who I was with in the car when we were shot up uh, during the feud, mm. uh, went on to become, you know, he, he, he was done for, for Bally Kelly. You yeah. know what I mean? He'd already served a prison sentence by that stage, you know. Yeah. And I remember Derek as a sort of fairly mild mannered, sort of easygoing guy who liked to play football and darts and you know yeah. and was quite political. But uh, as I say, uh so yeah, we I stepped out with people who didn't come back, who went to jail. Mickey mm. Devine, I would have known from from the early days, oh, you know. Yeah, course, uh, yeah. uh, who died on hunger strike and yeah. uh, you know, so you know, it was a big transition away from that sort of conspiratorial sort of, you know, everything hidden and secret. Mm. And they sort of, you know, they, they, they engage with political ideas and yeah. built the political organization, you know. Yeah. So where did you go next then after you'd, yeah. you, and where did you feel comfortable going next? Because I never felt comfortable in the SLL actually from the start. Really? You know what yeah. I mean, I didn't, yeah. Yeah. And that was evident after a few months. Like, there was a real personality cult around Healy. You know, mm. And it was just like, it was oppressive, you know. Stuff and Lim Roddy, who, who had left Derry together, uh, where, you know, we used to say, will this guy ever fucking shut up? Do you know what I mean? He goes on and on and on. It, speaks, it was like, you know, like a Stalin speech to the sort of Politburo, like mm. for three or four hours, you know what I mean? It's just like tedious beyond imagination and the whole sort of reverence that was directed towards him so I was never very comfortable there but I suppose I did learn a little bit about about Trotskyism mm. you know mm. uh, and it was you know you know there's a couple of couple of people who were who were decent enough who were who were you know you mm. know good people yeah. uh and again, right, this was it was a terrible sort of internal regime in the organization. You know, it was a daily paper. You had to go on paper sales in the morning before work and paper yeah. sales after work. And, you know, we were in the Young Socialists and the Young Socialist Student Society and the party. And, you know what I mean? It's just like, 
And yeah, I think I'm taking this bird out really quickly. Yeah. Uh, so what had happened then was I during the the the, the three day week in England, I, I began. I went back to college for a day a week. Hmm. Um, I think that I think I got a chance. You know, encouraged by people in the SLL, I have to say. Mm. Uh, I never thought about college or university or stuff like that, but they sort of encouraged me. And I, I did A-levels in a year, and I got a place in, in uh, uh, Sussex University. And right. I was already a Marxist when I arrived there, you know what yeah. I mean? So it was, it was, you know, and I met, I had, you know, there was a split in the, the, the SLL, and there was a guy called Alan Thornett, Oh yeah, yeah. Established an organization called the Worker Socialist League, mm. and I met with Thorne. He came to meet me in Brighton, actually, uh, right. and uh, it was the night before Franco had executed the last of the, the Spanish anarchists. So it had to be like right. seventy, just seventy-four around that time. And I remember him. You know, I remember him. He very impressive character. He's still around, Alan Thorne, actually. Right. Uh, he is, yeah, and uh, still, you know, still fairly astute politically. Yeah. And then, you know, the WSL was sort of midway between between the WRP and the, the IMG, you know, all these, yeah. the Workers' Revolutionary Party and International Marxist Group. And I met Redmond O'Neill at Sussex. And he was he was a very formative uh, person. Mm. Uh, he was later, you know, he, he ran the GLC for, for uh, Ken, Ken Livingston. Livingston. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Redmond was was from a from a working class family. His mother was from a nurse from Tipperary, I think. Mm. And he's very very committed to the Irish struggle, uh, mm. and you know, centrally the Brighton Trip South movement, and you know, you know, very very impressive orator. And so I I ended up in the IMG, right? Okay. Uh, yeah. And I I was in the IMG until I came back to Ireland then in '79. Uh, so I would have been for about. Three or four years, I suppose. So you were you were involved actually in organising troops out and so forth. That I was inv- centrally involved in the troops out. Yeah, uh, and what was that like? It was. Uh, I mean, being active around Ireland and England in the seventies was 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 was. Uh, it was it was you know it wasn't easy. Hmm. Uh, when I arrived in England first, I was in Exeter, and mm-hmm. uh, I, a month. The day after we arrived, myself and Liam Roddy were arrested in the street and uh, taken in for questioning and charged with a firebombing at a British Army surplus store, you know, which is just complete bollocks. That's all they do with it. But it was a holding charge and they were letting us know that our cards were marked, you know. Anytime anything happened, we could be picked up casually, you know. And I'd been been arrested several times in the north as well. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And I'd had one or two sort of fairly brutal interrogations. So, I mean, I had some idea how to respond, you know. Mm. Just not engage as far mm. as possible, not they the, the get into any sort of conversation. Uh, and uh, you know, they threatened the usual stuff, they put us on identity parades with people who had been bred off of the street and who were wet and, and obviously been in the rain, and we were there in their bare feet and stuff, you know, that sort of level of yeah. You know, uh, and you know, they told us, they told me, you know, they knew who I was, that you know, they knew what I was there for, that I was going down. And you know, it was it was scary stuff. Uh and I remember a year later, after the Guildford woman's walking along the street in Brighton and just being scooped again, you know what I mean? And mm. again held and questioned about that, you know. And 
so like was a consciousness around the fact that you're always being watched you know what i mean and yeah. uh yeah so i mean brighton brighton trips out movement was one of the bigger uh organizations uh mm. you know and you know, a lot of the people who'd have been involved in Brighton trips out would also be in the backbone of the Brighton anti-Nazi League, and you know yeah. the you know the various campaigns. There was yeah. a lot of crossover there. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, so, yeah, and there was also lesser-known adjunct to the trips out movement called the Student Movement Campaign on Ireland, and I was very involved in that as well. You know, I went to the NUS conference as a delegate one year, yeah. and, uh, as an yeah. With the right to speak, so yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was. Uh, we did good work in the trips. Mm. What yeah. was the response like from? Uh, I, I hate the word ordinary, but people yeah. in the streets to uh, uh, to say stalls and marches and so on and so forth. I mean, at that period in time in England, like, what was the sense of? Did you get a sense there was a degree of support, or maybe an underlying strand of support, or was there? a lot of antipathy or hostility i mean i can imagine with events there would be problems but i'm just wondering about the generalized nature of the response to troops out i think i think that most you know to use your word ordinary people mm. would have just been you know for the withdrawal of troops not for the right reasons bring our yeah. boys home type of there would be a yeah. lot of that sentiment around yeah uh and uh in political circles, it was a battle between a sort of, you know, again, between a sort of Trotskyist perspective and the Stalinist perspective. Really, The CP yeah. would have been uh, uh, quite hostile to the Tripside movement. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, would have still been peddling the sort of, you know, you know, democratize the six-county mm. state perspective. And so uh, in political circles, it was, you know, was it was a, tough enough battle, you know, saying trying to, you know, one support and trade union branches and the like, you know what I mm. mean? Uh, there would have been, there would have been a certain antipathy from, from other sections of the left uh, as well. Oh, yeah. And things were, were proportionate to what was happening, you know, like I remember after the Birmingham bombings, it was like, absolutely, you know, it was a really, really, really cold climate, you know yeah. what I mean? It yeah, was, course, it was yeah. really difficult to do anything. And that happened every time it was a major bombing, like there would be repercussions. You know? Yeah. But um yeah, as I say, I I I, I felt that that the work at Tripside Movement did was, mm. you know, was, was was quite important. And and in relation to what was happening in Ireland, do you you weren't a member of any organization in Ireland? Did you identify with any of, like even, I mean, just in, in a generalized sort of way, did you identify with any of the groups that were, um, or any of the parties in the, in, in, on the island? I suppose on one level, uh, it was easier from a distance to sort of mm. be sympathetic to, to the military campaign. You mm. know what I mean? Yeah, sure. You know? uh, and, you know, even from the mid seventies, the pros had been, you know, on a trajectory which was left moving. Mm. You know, and they were influenced by all sorts of anti-imperialist stuff. You know what I mean? Third world stuff, and yeah. but, you know, it, it seemed to be a much better uh, uh, position than than the early seventies. You know mm. what I mean? And uh, 
I had been sympathetic to an extent to the IRSP, you know what I mean? Mm. I hadn't completely written them off as, you know, as people who couldn't be worked with or, you know, people who didn't have a lot of potential. Yeah. And they had a lot of good people in the mm. early 70s, you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, and a lot of people around, a lot of good people around Dublin. Uh, and I would have been friendly in the troops out movement with people who were, you know, basically IRSP people in Britain, people like Paddy Prandeville from Phoenix Magazine. Oh, yeah, 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 uh, of course. Yeah. Naomi Brennan and uh, and people like that too. You know, we're, we're, we're very political people. And, um, you know, when, when I got back to Dublin, uh, I, I moved to Dublin in 79, but I was already, mm. uh, by that stage, I was sort of active and I'd been active in the MG and I was, you know, uh, in close uh, solidarity with people's democracy, yeah. it become the, you know, had had become a much more refined, uh, uh, much smaller in the process, yeah. uh, Marxist organization. Yeah, and again, so people's democracy would have been would have been my my choice. Mm. Uh, and when I came back, it was interesting because it was brimming with talent. People's mm. democracy was small, like I mean, it's some really wonderful people, you know. Uh, yeah. You mentioned Dan Speed earlier, but there was there was also Brendan Kelly, there was Morris Coakley, there was mm. the Ian's John and Neil, there was Betty Purcell and Patrick Farley, oh, you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, and and loads of others, Sean Marmion, uh, you know, people who wouldn't perhaps not have been as well known. So in the Dublin organization, they were quite developed and the paper socialist republic was was being produced quite regularly at that time you know yeah you essentially joined people's democracy yeah i i, I had been in the img so it was a natural you know yeah. we had fraternal relationships with with people's democracy through the the united secretariat of the fourth international and uh, yeah. so i mean it was just it was just a, it was a matter of course that i would join pd so would you have had as a img member would you have had much interaction then with the um, movement for a socialist republic group yeah. prior to PD. Yeah, yeah. They wouldn't merge yeah. in, wouldn't they? And... Yeah, they would. Of all the people who I mentioned there, mm. uh, Brandon Kelly, mm. uh, Anne Speed, the Meehans, Rainer Lysett, uh, they were all movement for a socialist republic. I mean, the merger was between movement for a socialist republic and the PD organization in the north. Mm. They took the northern name, but uh, the bulk of the organization was based in Dublin. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Although they had a couple of sort of sort of figures in the north, the likes of the likes of John McNulty and and, and Fergus O'Hare, who would have been well established and well regarded in the in the broad anti-imperialist movement. Mm. But yeah, there would have been movement for a socialist republic would have been, I'd have been, uh, you know, watching what they were doing for several years before joining the organisation when I came back to Dublin. Yeah. And of course, PD had a councillor or two, didn't they? Or did they? In Belfast. Yeah, in Belfast. Two councillors. Yeah. And that was, that was, you know, that was an important contribution to the whole debate on political intervention, you know, uh, it was during the it was during the hunger strike that that, that I, I I you know one of the, you know just by by way of sort of the first campaign I got involved in when I arrived in Dublin was contraceptive action program. Oh right, yeah, yeah. And I remember we used to do you know sell condoms in the dandelion market, and you know there was a yeah. there was a there was a bus. So that was one of the campaigns that PD were fairly centrally involved in at the start. But soon afterwards, I arrived in Dublin in seventy nine. 
I went to the, the Greenbrier Conference on the H-Block situation in October mm. of, of 79 and became quite involved in that campaign. Mm. And, uh, you know, that began to overshadow any of the other political work that I was doing. And, uh, and then about in October 1980, in the run to the first hunger strike, I, I was appointed as a national organiser for the H-Block Armagh campaign. Mm. It's a bit unusual, you know, we usually someone which would have automatically went to someone from the provost, but uh, I, uh, I moved into an office in Montjoy Square, pretty much with a typewriter and, and not much else. Right. And, uh, you know, one of the first things that happened within a week or two was that Ronnie Bunton was... was mm. Uh, no little were shot, and they were both prominent members of the H-Block campaign. So it was quite sobering, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that was that became the focus of my work. Mm. And that sort of, to some extent, explains the relationship that developed between certain members of Sinn Féin and myself, you know? All oh, right, okay. So it was, yeah, it was that shared sense of purpose, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that, we learned a lot. Works. They learned a lot from... We argued, it was myself, Fergus O'Hare, and... Mm. Various times there would have been Italian. Uh, we'd had three or four people on the National H Block Committee, mm. and we had a very sympathetic ear from from the likes of Adams and and uh, and Jim Gibney and the Belfast leadership of the, mm. the Republican movement. And uh, you know, we put it up to them and said, "If you don't run candidates, you know, uh, we'll run candidates." And so we ran two candidates, and uh, and and. The IRSP ran too, so it was four elected, top poll in West Belfast and North Belfast. And, you know, so we went back at them again uh, Mm. during the general election of 1981. Mm. They stand candidates and they were hesitant for a while. And PD stood a candidate, they stood myself, in fact, in Dublin North Central in Charlie Hyson's constituency. And uh, we did reasonably okay. You know, we caused a bit of a a bit of a, a stir in the area. And as it happened, my transfers elected Noel Brown right. in the last seat. Yeah. You know, yeah. in that constituency the last time he was elected. So uh that was, you know, and one of the guys who became involved in the campaign, just as a, an aside, was uh Finian McGrath, mm. who cultivated that space. For another yeah. ten or fifteen years until he became a TD. Yeah, that's very true. Just to point out, we have the um, the election leaflet from that campaign. Make H block the issue in the archive as well. Oh, you do, yeah, yeah, great, right. yeah. yeah, yeah. That was an interesting campaign, actually. You know what I mean? It was uh, yeah. one incident which steps stands out. I remember we were outside the church in Donna Carney. Uh, mm day or two before the before the actual vote mm-hmm. and how he arrived as entourage and we had just purchased this state-of-the-art loud hailer with a big extension wire on it and we were really proud of ourselves it was like a big purchase for the organization yeah and we're standing i'm saying you know mr how you know you're going to make case back you're going to withdraw the, and the next thing is i'm sort of speaking to myself he one of his entourage had brought out a pair of scissors and snapped the, you know, cut through the wire. You know what I mean? And there's a television footage of the, of me running run after saying, guards, can you do something? They said they were going to arrest me for harassing him, right? You know what I mean? But uh, it was just oh. one of those little moments. Oh, no. Oh, that's, yeah. Yeah. They were a machine. They certainly were. They certainly were. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. 
Uh, funny what they, they could get away with. They got away with it. Was yeah. broad daylight. There was photographic <laughs> evidence. You name it. Never mentioned again. Oh God. So. The influence, and I mean, I've always felt it's really interesting to hear you say this because the, I've always felt like the influence of PD when it, it decided or people, people from PD decided to go into Sinn Féin in the early to mid 80s was enormous. But clearly that influence from everything you're saying long predated the arrival of those people, though that was obviously a huge factor, but it was, yeah, this shared thing. And what was your feeling about that? I mean, were you happy with the way things were developing there or? Did you have, like, where did you go next in terms of that, would you say? Uh, yeah, you know, from early on in the Heisblad campaign, uh, Sinn Féin would have approached PD people. They were very, they were very, they were at the, the Greenbrier Committee which set up the National Heisblad Committee. Mm. They wanted Michael Farrell to be, uh, to be uh, on the National Committee, but Farrell had just moved to Dublin and was trying to rearrange his life and for whatever reason wasn't available. Mm-hmm. But Fergus O'Hare, he was one of the Belfast councillors and still mm-hmm. political activist, uh, you know, a hugely important political mm-hmm. figure. Uh, Fergus would have had very close contact with, with Sinn Féin and I would have worked very closely, as I said, in the H-Block office uh, with, with Jim Gibney, mm-hmm. uh, who was, you know, I suppose he was Jerry Adams' eyes and ears, you know, Adams wasn't around. And Adams was a really impressive figure, you know. Uh, in terms of that debate around around political intervention, there was a current, you know, which would have been the old guard who were suspect, you know, likes of Dahi O'Connell was on the National H Block Committee as well. And there would have been a couple of Dublin people, right, who would have been, you know, his eyes and ears. Uh, and they were reticent about uh, uh, standing a political, mm. you know, candidate. But um, obviously the whole, you know, the whole move to stand Bobby Sands as a candidate. Mm. You know, there's a sort of folklore that's grown up around it that, you know, some afternoon Jim Gibney had a bright idea, you know. And, but in fact, you know, there was, Bernadette had raised that question yeah. uh, much earlier, you know what I mean? Mm. So, yeah, the in terms of, as I say, Sinn Féin had, or the People's Democracy had, a, had an important influence, more so than the IRSP would have had on the National Heights Block Armagh campaign. And the yeah, book was very straightforward. It was about the neatly developed mass struggle yeah. as opposed to, you know, a military campaign, you know what I mean? And when I, you know, a breadth, a, a, the breadth of the movement was quite significant. When I began in the Block office in October 1980, there was 20 Heights Block action groups across the country, you know. Mm. By the middle of 1981, it was 400. You know, so it was a really substantial organisation. It could bring thousands of people onto the streets very easily. So, yeah. Uh, and 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 Sinn Féin could see how important that was. You know? Yeah. We've been posting up um, the action group which the Communist Party of Ireland Marxist Leninist was involved in, and of course they were part of the Armagh H Block campaign yeah. as well. Yeah. You and your role, how autonomous were those? Would say that group be in relation to the overall campaign or I mean you know because obviously it was a completely di- it was completely different per- political perspective on certain issues from yourself but I'm just wondering like were people then allowed to carve out their own space or did they have to accord to generalised precepts or was there any kind of 
you know. No, the the the, the broad Heisblock Armagh movement was was quite autonomous in many ways. Yeah. I mean, the pros always kept an eye on it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But uh, like in in the Dublin Heisblock Armagh committee, you know, they they would have you know there've been you know there was a lot of sort of. Uh, people involved who, who weren't. The likes of Breed Smith would have been a central mm. figure in the Dublin Anti-Hysbach Armagh Committee, you know what I mean, mm. long before she became involved with with the Socialist Workers Movement and, and people mm. before profit. Uh, you know, and there was, you know, the, 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 you know, the various, you know, the CPIML and others would have, you know, they would have been involved in the activities of the group. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of work around, say, sort of leafleting building sites and trying to get industrial action from, yeah various working class organizations and trade unions. Yeah. Anyway, I remember meeting Peter Bunton when he was the secretary of the NBU mm. uh, uh, about actual industrial action by Dublin workers if one of the hunger strikers died, you know what I mean? Mm. And, you know, there was, there was quite a lot of sort of, you know, there's quite a lot of independent initiatives, you know, there was a it was almost a sort of left wing of the Hates Block Armagh campaign at at local level as well as at national level. Yeah. Pushing for industrial action would have been, you know, one of the main sort of focuses of their activity. People yeah. like McCann and people yeah. like Paddy Healy and the League for Workers Republic. Uh, you know, so there was a certain autonomy. Yeah, it was an amazing mobilisation. It was an astonishing mobilisation. Yeah. It really was. Yeah. Uh, and... You know, uh, I think it's been relegated a bit historically. You know, it's 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 reduced to oh, uh, Sinn Fein and negotiations. Uh, you know what I mean? The, mm. it, the and the actual mass campaign is has has been sort of written out of history a bit. You know what yeah. I mean? It's it's it, it's something which should be recovered. You know what I mean? I recall in school where I was in, in community school, teachers going around with black armbands. Amazing, yeah. And, yeah. you know, that, that was a fascinating level of political... Absolutely. I remember the night after Bobby Sands died, I was in the Hays Block office. I got the call. They say that they were, I made the call to Belfast. to confirm that he, he, he was dead. And mm. uh, I remember coming through Dublin. I was work, I was living in, in Pembroke Road at the time, and I remember mm. walking through the city on the way home in the morning, and there was black flags in various places, you know what I mean, which is a yeah. complete sort of transformation, you know. Mm. Um, and I remember as well, like two editions of the Irish Times, one we got early at about midnight or one o'clock, saying Bobby Sands goes into the 66 days of hunger strike, and then picking up an early edition on the way home, saying Sands dies on his 66 day of hunger strike, you know what I mean? Yeah. With a whole supplement inside. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was it was a huge it was a huge mobilization, you know. And by that stage, I suppose I had became sort of, I don't know, attracted in a way I hadn't been before to, to Sinn Féin. Mm. And, you know, that's when the seed was was sown. And uh, I argued for that position. I was on the, the National Committee and the Political Committee of People's Democracy at the time, and I argued that we should, you know, <laughs> we should uh, orientate towards Sinn Féin. Mm. And, and I remember having discussions with people, I, I you know, at the time, uh, and people saying, well, there's no point if you if you're real, like I mean, 
you know, if you Sinn Féin don't have any autonomy, you know, if you're going to join the Republican movement, you need to join the army, you know what I mean? Mm. So, uh, but that was only, you know, it was just that was a shadow boxing position, and so. I, uh, I I worked for for, for Sinn Féin in, in various campaigns mm. when I was still in PD, uh, but I I I I made the decision I I, I left PD and joined Sinn Féin in right. 1982, and I was the first one to go. Right, you know what I mean. And yeah. as I say, people who had who had denounced me several months previously for doing it. Then did it themselves, and they they put a gloss on it, which is they were going to work as an organised group within Sinn Féin. But you know, and some of them are, as I say, still there. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. The likes of Anne Speed, I suppose, yeah. uh, probably the best known. But yeah. there was there was a good few others as well. You know, Brandon Kelly always played an important background role. Uh, uh, Morris Coakley would be there thereabouts. You know what I mean. Mm. Uh, Mm. So there was a there was a there was a a number of them who made that transition. How did you find Sinn Fein after you know, I mean you'd been in the officials and that was a big movement and then you've been in somewhat smaller groups and mm. parties and then you're back into what is a different context again, I guess, even from yeah. the officials. Yeah. Yeah. I mean by that stage Sinn Fein had become quite an important part of the Republican movement. You know, it was no longer sort of peripheral cheerleader, you know, on the side, sort of hurling from the ditch. It was uh, it was much more, Adams was having much more of an influence, obviously, and the whole 1977 Bowdoin speech about, you know, getting involved oh, yeah. in trade unions, community organisations, yeah. and, you know, cultural organisations. That whole, uh, that whole, perspective had had developed uh and so they were quite open to people coming in who had a political head who mm. who would try out new things mm. on their behalf and the big debate i remember in the mid 80s in Sinn Féin was a debate around abstentionism mm. and if you like we were the outriders you know, yeah. the sort of, we were the people who made the arguments for, uh, you know, my common, which was in Ring's End, quite a, quite a big common, I think had probably one of the very first motions at an Ardesh uh, calling for an abandonment of abstentionism, you know. Uh, and, you know, carefully coded sort of stuff, mm. about, you know, that we should encourage leadership to, to engage in further political activity whenever the opportunity arises, you know. Yeah. And you had the you had of course the correspondent position, which would have been the sort of Royal Brother, the O'Connell position of, you know, abstentionism as a fundamental principle in any, mm. any attempt to, yeah. to sort of, you know, so there was there was there was that big debate. But they, they were clever enough, you know what I mean, uh in mm. that they allowed Syrians very strategically astute. I mean, people know that that's a secret. You know, he's, 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 you know, he's brilliant at what he does. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what happened was, and I noticed this right, was that as I said, these sort of they would allow us to make the political political arguments and put them out there and see how people responded to them. You know, before taking them up. You know, before yeah. the you know, a year later said. 
okay, we're again, you know, yeah, you know. So there was that was sort of rule that 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 PD people, uh, former PD people, would have played in the organization. Uh, yeah, and it was. Did you mind? Did you mind playing that projector? No, you thought it was important to for absolutely. For we thought it was an important part of the development yeah. of the organization. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And I was also active in the trade union movement at the time. Mm. Uh, I would have been in the old LGPSU when Phil Flynn was general secretary before it became Impact, and you know, so I was. You know, we had a sort of caucus within uh, within the LGPSU, or sorry, within in, Impact, who would have been yeah. sort of Paddy Healy's brother, CD. Seamus. Seamus, yeah. Seamus yeah. Heaney. And, you know, there have been various others who had a sort of left Republican sort of block in the organization, in, in Impact, you know what I mean? Yeah. We'd have taken on Phil. I had a big battle with Phil Flynn. You know, massive around the, the 10 pound hospital charges. You know what All I mean? Right. Yeah, and, yeah. And Phil would have also brought a lot of people into the union who were Sinn Fein people mm. you know, from different jobs. You know yeah. what I mean? And if you, you know, if if you played your cards right, you could be a full time official fairly soon. You know what I mean? It was yeah. like, uh, so yeah, it was that was an interesting period, you know. Yeah. Uh, and as I say, up until up until I, I suppose you know the late eighties. I began to sort of you know wonder about you know uh, the, the the direction, uh, you know, because it was evident from then that 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 the the, the the drift to the left had sort of been arrested to some extent, and they were sort of you know consolidating that position and you know not ready to move on from it, you know. Mm. Uh, you know, like, and you would have seen that in debates around things like abortion. Mm, yeah. Uh, and that was a big issue when I stood in the election in 81 mm. against Ahi. You know, the only other issue that really featured was the fact that we stood in a position of, you know, the support for abortion rights. Choice, you know? yeah, yeah. And that was quite a long time ago, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was, you know, it was, uh, it was quite a quite a, a daring position they have at the time, you know. Yeah. So, like, that sort of debate, Sinn Féin, you know, it sort of ebbed and flowed. They were one Ardash would be in favour, the next one they wouldn't, you know. Mm. And you found that frustrating, I imagine, at the end, or did you just, like, I mean, in a sense, did that frame a thing for you whereby you thought to yourself, right, maybe this vehicle isn't the vehicle that's going to take, you know, move yeah. to the destination yeah. that, yeah. 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 Yeah, I think, I think, I, you know, there was sort of warning signs from, the period leading up to the Hume Adams talk, you know, and I, don't get me wrong. I mean, I support Hume Adams talk and I support mm. the ceasefire in 70, mm. sort of 94, you know? Yeah. Uh, in fact, when, what was one of the other positions that we were outriders on from, from the mid eighties and in, in, in Dublin in particular, you know, mm. the, uh, you know, that, you know, that the military struggle should be, you know, toned uh, down and, yeah. you know, brought directly under, Political control. Yeah. You know, there was various mechanisms set up within Sinn Fein and uh, at that time, but um, I mean, I, I I think that I my experience would have been, you know, nobody ever actually said, you know, it wasn't as if somebody came and said, well, the army wanted to do this or that. And, mm. That that was never as vulgar as that. You know what mm. I mean? It was, uh, you know, it was. Uh, it was quite open for political discussion up to a point. Right. Yeah. 
Do you know what I mean? And that was a part we missed. We thought it was open for political discussion, full stop. But it was clear enough, you know, at some point you'd be reeled in, you know? Yeah. And if yeah. you outlived your usefulness, you know what I mean? You would be sort of reminded of the fact that you were just a member of the organisation and, you yeah. know, like everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did you, so, so you drifted out of it in a sense, did you, or was it a sharp? I drifted and then, I mean, there was one or two things which were really decisive, you know what I mean? I I remember my first big public utterance against uh, the Republican movement was after uh, Joe O'Connor uh, was shot in Belfast. Not because I was sympathetic to the real IRA, mm. but because I didn't think that that was the way in which he resolved political conflict, you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, and I remember there was a bit of a kickback from that, you know, people who I had known and been friendly with and, you know, mm. were, were really quite, you know, mm. whatever you say, say nothing in public, you know what I mean? Yeah. In that type of mentality, you know what I mean? Yeah. There was a bit of a kickback from that. And so I sort of, I drifted away. I, I, but by that time, the politics were, were emerging. And I remember like really in the mid, early 90s having a discussion about, you know, would Sinn Féin be prepared to, you know, go into government mm. if they got half a dozen or ten seats as as a sort of, you know, the, with Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael, you know? Mm. And I thought that was the absolutely decisive political question, mm. you know, the question of... Because it was clear by that stage, right, you know, that, that things were taking their own course in the six counties. Uh, the organisation was sort of... Had, had reached the point which was, you know... It, it was basically it reached the high point that was available uh, yeah. by, by the end of the 90s anyway. But the real question in the South was, you know, was, was you know, how you, how you approach the question of, of government, you know what I mean? Uh, and as I say, the things like, I mean, I was quite supportive of, of, of Kim Adams, uh, although I remember being chastised by Bernadette on one occasion, you know, who I've remained uh, friendly with till this day and politically mm. friendly with uh, as much as anything else. She said that she thought that Pierre Adams was secret negotiations and that, you know, if there was nothing they hide, they should be out in public as to what was being discussed. And yeah. she was sort of, she was right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she was the first to call it out, you know, in terms of uh, in terms of where the where the, the, the developments were taking place in Sinn Féin, that they were drifting Mm. back to the center mm. you know purely pragmatic yeah uh, vaguely social democratic vaguely social democratic absolutely i, I remember yeah. saying that to somebody you know what i mean mm. uh that you know they were in that's that was a position that they'd come to occupy a sort of slightly left social democratic formation mm. you know, compared to sort of some of the others in europe you know yeah as an independent, did you then move into um, campaigns? Uh, did you then identify with campaigns, or and I mean, what would those campaigns be? And uh, you know, yeah, well, various bits and you know things that you know the left were involved in. You mm. know what I mean? Uh, I had been involved in various campaigns over the years around divorce and you know contraception, as I mentioned, abortion. You know what I mean? Mm. But uh, I would have just been very much involved in rank and file activities, you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, 
Uh, the last thing I was involved in uh, organizationally uh, uh, was I was for sure well, I was a trade union coordinator of uh, trade union friends of Palestine, uh, the Dublin organization. Right. So, yeah. Uh, I I was there a few years ago now, uh, mm. and uh, this is quite a strong campaign. In fact, you know they had really sort of good. Uh, sort of campaigns ongoing and mm. I met again people like Anne Speed would have been involved in some of the meetings and and um, I mean I my my concern at, at that particular time was around the fact that they'd met with Likud mm. you know what I mean I, 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 mm. I just thought that was and you know I, I said that a few times you know the, the, the people and uh it's sort of quite typical of the way in which Sinn Féin has developed. You know, they have this enormous capacity to speak on both sides of their mouth at the same time. You know what I mean? And it's, 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 you know, I know some Sinn Féin people who, you know, were sort of absolutely abhorred the whole sort of genuflect into monarchy recently. You know what I mean? The whole sort of a shell and the double-handed handshake with King Charles and stuff like that. But, you know, there's always been those people, but in fact, they're, they're, they're very quiet when push comes to shove a lot of the time. You know, they'll tell you personally how, how awful it is, mm. you know, and how, how dreadful things are, and, and but they won't actually say that in public, you know what I mean? And that's... It's still a fairly, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a, if you're talking about Sinn Féin now, it's mm. very tightly sort of controlled, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I would have, as I say, various bits and pieces, but nothing of any real significance, as I say. I would have involved, would have, like more recently, would have been involved in the same kinds of election campaigns mm. and, and, and Derry and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, would you have been interested in joining a formation at this stage i mean it does or it's that you know yeah no i would you know yeah as i say as i say i i for the last years i would consider myself a supporter of people before profit mm. yeah uh, and you know i uh i generally i generally think that they have attempted the you know build an organization which is slightly less you know, doctrinaire, for want of a better word, than than some of the traditional Leninist mm. organizations. Yeah. You know, because there's a breadth there which, you know, and I think they, they, they you know, they have built a, a sizable organization, certainly the biggest organization on the, the final after the far left in Ireland in, you know, yeah. recent times by, by far and away. All and, Ireland, yeah. And I, you know, I, I think a lot of the Northern comrades would have, I learned a lot from from people's democracy over mm. the years. Uh, uh, I'm no talking to like a Matt Collins that that they would see it as 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 you know quite a quite a, quite a formative experience uh, in their political development. Yeah, trailblazer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just on PD, I mean, um, would you looking at PD now? You weren't involved, obviously, at the very beginning in PD. But would you consider it as a single organization with different, very distinct phases or as a number of different organizations that ultimately use the same name? Because, like, you know, I mean, looking at yeah. it. 
Well, certainly it's a very different organization in 1981 than it was in 1971. Yeah. You know I mean? yeah. Uh, yeah. It, you know, was initially a sort of loose sort of gathering of, you know, independents and left wing political activists and, mm. you know, all sorts of people, Republicans and, and, and otherwise. Yeah. But by, by obviously following the fusion with moving for a socialist republic, it became a much smaller, mm. uh, much more politically coherent Marxist organization. Yeah. And as I say, it was brimming with talent in the late 70s and into the 80s, but mm. maybe we should have held it together a bit longer, you know what I mean? Maybe people like myself were a bit premature. Uh mm. And, and doing what we did. It's, it's, it's hard to say, you know what I mean? Uh, I certainly think that that there was an influence that, that PD had in the Republican movement in the 80s, which was quite significant. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and I think once once that core cater uh, from Dublin had decided that they were going with Sinn Féin, it effectively derailed the organisation as a, a national organisation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say, like, there's a potential there for it maybe to take on a sort of proto-PBP uh, kind of role, you know, well left to Sinn Féin, but open to electoralism to a degree, not not obviously like electoralism in the worst sense yeah. of the word, but in the sense of engaging with the class and yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah no, I think so. I think yeah. I mean it may be sort of heresy to some for me to say this, but I even as late as the late seventies when I was in Britain, there was a discussion mm. around a revolutionary unity between the likes of the Socialist Workers Party and uh, and the IMG. And I would have been in favor of, you know, revolutionary unity. Mm. And I think that you know there was an opportunity on the left for for an organization like pd uh they sort of and i i think to some extent uh the the disintegration of pd created a space for people before profit mm. as as the only sort of you know fighting left organization that was uh, open to sort of building new campaigns and the like. I think, you know, as I say, I I, I think in retrospect, you know, that uh, that that perhaps people's democracy, perhaps we should have, could have held together a little bit longer. Mm. Yeah. You know, 2020 vision is. Yeah. Yeah. And also the environment in the mid 80s i mean it was in the north in particular yeah i can see there's a strong argument that pd really yeah it, it, it led the way in certain respects it got councillors elected at a time when it was well i mean the the rsp did as well but you know they they were coming from a slightly different position as well so yeah were, yeah the rsp only stood after after pd had put in their nomination papers and yeah. stuff like that. And, you know, it wasn't something that was, was tremendously thought out in advance by them. Yeah. And they, they were, you know, it was like the IRSP would have had three or four people on the National Heist Block Committee mm. uh, during the hunger strikes. And, but they never had a coherent position. You know, mm. they, they were like, you know, all over the place. Mm. You know? 
We never had, there was never any sort of political core in the organization that could rise its head even marginally yeah. uh, without being, you know, without having to check it out with, with the INLA, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, even more so than with Sinn Féin. Now, you had the situation probably in Sinn Féin where a lot of the Sinn Féin leadership were also, you know, centrally involved mm. in, in the army. So, mm. uh, but with the RSP, there was never any political coherence. You know, mm. you could see a couple of tendencies in Sinn Féin, but you know, you could see that there was, you know, political developments taking place. Whereas the RSP just, mm. you know, and it's like you know where they find themselves today. You know, it's sort of shocking, really, in lots of ways. You know what I mean? Just, you know. it's a strange journey they've been on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and now they've sort of become a caricature of, sort of, you know. You know, the worst aspects of sort of Stalinist organization, you know what I mean? And, you know, terrible sort of politics to go with it, like mm. their sort of gung ho position and support of Putin and stuff like that. Is, mm. it's, you know, it's, like somebody said they're a cheap date. They were invited to a conference there a few years ago and, and you know, had their hotels and dinners paid for. And suddenly, Donbass is the most important struggle in the world. I'm not saying it's not an important discussion, mm. but. Mm. You know, it's it's more complex than, than that, you know what I mean? So in, a, uh, so in yeah, I mean, so in a way, like PD, in a sense, was one of, the, well, certainly was one of the more prominent examples of an option to politics. An oh, very much politics. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And as I say, I, you know, there was that discussion. I mean, I suppose the fundamental discussion about orienting to the Republican movement was, mm. can politics become, you know, mm. the center uh, uh, of of our intervention and anything else flows from that, you know what I mean? Yeah. And PD were good at making that argument, you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, as I say, the, their influence in the National Age Block Armada campaign and, you know, previous prisoner campaigns, you know, uh, you know, was quite significant. Mm. Uh, and and you know as I say their their their, their intervention uh, uh, in Sinn Fein in the mm. mid eighties, you know, was 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 quite an important one as well. Having been in the officials, having been in PD, having been in Sinn Fein, do you have a sense of if you were taking the temperature of the the left on the island, as it were, would you have a way of summing it up, like in saying, like at this point in time where we are? Or where you think things will go next? I think the next period is going to be absolutely decisive uh, around the question of who Sinn Féin goes into coalition with. I've thought that since the 90s. Mm. You know what I mean? If they have a Sinn Féin-led government supported by the left, then I think is a major opportunity they, they, they sort of move forward and drive forward. Mm. If they have a Fien, if Sinn Féin government supported by Fianna Fáil, do you know what I mean? I think that that moment is lost. Yeah. You know? And I, I've seen a debate recently uh, about with my friend Willie White, actually, mm. Johnny Spar, uh, arguing just recently last few days uh, that you know he would have been a big 
supporter of the Corbyn project in Britain. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, as we all would, I mm. suppose. But saying that, you know, you would vote for a Starmer government as an alternative to Tories, you know, because the Labour Party is the party of the working class. Mm. Uh, but he wouldn't apply the same position to supporting the Sinn Féin-led government in the 26 counties. And Interesting. I, I would diverge from that position. Right. I would, would say that we should fight for a Sinn Féin-led left government, mm. you know what I mean, on the basis of the old, uh, old Trotskyist position, as I understand it, of make the left fight. Yeah. I mean, that was the central demand of the Socialist Labour League throughout its existence, mm. right, that their raison d'etre was to make the left and the Labour Party fight for socialist policies. Yeah. And I, I, I think that the role of PBP you know, all their left independents. Mm. And, you know, in, in which I include like John Collins, mm. uh, would, uh, that, that I would support as the least worst a Sinn Féin-led left government supported by PUP and the left independents. Yeah. Uh, and I, I do think that's, that's, that is the question that faces us, you know what I mean? Uh, because we know, right, the institutions of the state are not neutral, and you know, Sinn Féin, Sinn Féin-led government is going up against all sorts of obstacles, uh, uh, and you know, but there's nothing new about that. You know what I mean? I remember I was talking to somebody recently about the situation in Italy. You know, the sort of with the rise of the far right. You know, I remember I was saying like in a country which. In the late seventies, you know, the Communist Party came within a whisker of of, of mm. winning power. You know what I mean? The situation where you know, uh, you know, you have sort of the ghosts of Franco sort of reappearing, and uh, yeah, and you know, there are decisive moments in 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 in, in history, and you know, I I think this is probably one mm. in in terms of what happens in Ireland in the next few years. Thanks a million for that. It really, really appreciate the chance to talk. Thanks very much.